James chapter 4. We're going to deal with uh, tonight with verses 13 through 17, but I want to read again, beginning in verse 10. James chapter 4, verse 10. Verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaks of evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But, but, you, but if you judge the law, you're not, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you that judge another? We covered that last week. Go now, you that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow for what is your life it is even a vapor or like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away for that you ought to say if the Lord will we shall live and do this or that but now you rejoice in your boastings, means in your arrogance. How many of you know that arrogance and boasting is the opposite of humility? But now, when's now? Now. <laughs> it's not a trick question. When is now? Now. In this life. You rejoice in your boasting or your arrogance. All such rejoicing is evil. Now, if I'd have wrote that, that'd make people uptight. And sometimes it makes people uptight just because I read it. And just because it's in there. Hello? But now you rejoice in your arrogance, your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Then he caps it with, we, remember we used this one weeks ago. We, we, we pre taught out of order. Therefore, now lest you think that they've messed the chapters up and the verses. Now they, stay with me a second. Because you know this is what we're going to do. I'm going to remind you that James didn't write his epistle with chapter and verse. But that's okay. Because he's made it very clear in this particular case what this last verse is pertaining to. Yeah? Everybody knows this because I say it about every other week. Because it says what? Therefore. Which means what? In light of what you've just read, 
what I've just said. Remember, if you run across to therefore, you have to go back up and see what it's there for. Yes. Pertaining to is right. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So let's read it all together one more time. You ready? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Speak not evil one to of another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is but one lawgiver who is able or has the power to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge one another? Talking about brethren within the church uh, over non-disciplinary action. Go now, you that say today or tomorrow we will go in such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and, gain and get gain whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow how many of you know you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow you do not know what's going to happen tomorrow for what is your life it is even a vapor it appears for a little while and then vanishes away for what you ought to say if the Lord will we shall live and do this or that. But now rejoice at, you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Interesting. Don't you think? I read to you King James. Would you mind if I read to you really quickly verse 13 through 17 in New Living? James chapter 4, verse 13. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil remember it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it interesting heavenly father we thank you for your word lord we ask you now that you would help us that you would guide us give us wisdom give us Give us insight. Give us clarity. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive what you would say to your people. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I just want to start out with a simple statement that we need to get in our spirit very deeply and very quickly. I even addressed it in some things in my own life a few weeks ago when we were talking about humble yourself. Remember when I was telling you about the, 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 the stress to make it happen as a pastor and the stress for who we need for this and what do we need to do for that and this and that. And remember we talked about it? And I remember that the Lord told me what he, it was actually Second Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. You remember, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due season. 
Remember? Just casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. James says, humble yourself, and he will lift you up. And you thought, what? and remember we talked about what does one have to do with the other? It all, again, fits together. That's why we read from 10 all the way through 17 tonight. I'm understanding that, when, that, that whenever you begin to think you're, that you have to plan it all, figure it all out, and make all of your life work, and you've got it planned out. That, and in fact, in the church world today, one of the big things with pastors is a five-year and a 10-year plan, which I laugh at because I don't know what I'm doing day after tomorrow, right. much less five years, 10 years from now. I don't have a five-year plan. I just plan to live five years, Lord willing. Come on, somebody. Amen. Catch up with me. And he is, so let me tell you something. As a believer, and, it's, and it's, it goes entirely contrary to most of what is taught in the church world today. We, now, we may give some lip service to this statement every now and then, but really, listen to me. Your life, if you're a believer a follower of Jesus Christ, your life is not your own. Let me say it again. Your life, that, that scripture, your life is not your own. Why? Because you've been bought with the price. Your life is not your own. And, you're, and, and, and he's really speaking directly head on as James tends to do for us to understand that we're not in charge of the plan if we're living for him. Amen. It's completely contrary to what we push, to what we, pu to, we, to what we teach, whether overtly or covertly. It's contrary. Now, I can point it out because almost without exception, when we raise our children now and we get them about 10th grade, we start talking about future plans, sometimes a little earlier, but we really start talking about future plans. And we've, we've even come to the place where everybody's future plans is, is degrees, advanced degrees, and making lots of money. We don't think anybody's child anymore is called to, to, to live a humble life or to live a, a, a life of service or, or uh, I think you get the picture. Well, I could, I could say some things that just mess the world up right now. I think I'll go ahead and say it. If you want to know why we have hundreds of billions of dollars and useless student loans that is breaking this country that we're in a fight over right now is because we, we pushed all these people to get degrees and then throw money at them for worthless pieces of paper when, when they never consulted God about the plan for their life. That's what's happened. God, we all love to quote Jeremiah 29, 11. What does it say? I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. 
Now, I, now, now that's a promise, and that's, a, and that's, a, that's an outstanding statement. And, and God does have a plan for your life. Every one of us, God has a plan for it. Have we ever consulted him about what it might be? Or are we presumptuous and pretentious? That's the right question. Now, anytime I, I quote anything about Jeremiah 29 and 11, I'm curious, did it ever occur to anyone when they, if you read a little further, that God's plan for them in this context was 70 years of Babylonian captivity? I think I'll read it. Jeremiah. For I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Somebody shout. And you will seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. Praise God. And I will, and, and I will be found in you, says the Lord, and I will turn away from your captivity. Oh, there it is. And I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, <laughs> says the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place where I have caused you to be carried away captive. For I know the plans, the thoughts I have for you, says the Lord. Huh. James is putting it in our face. And no, you know, you know I, I, I sometimes am beginning to understand why we don't maybe read the word as deep as we could because, or should or need to. Because when we, when, we re, when we read the word for what it says and what, and what and the, we're in context and what he's actually telling us, it's very challenging and it messes up everything about our plans. We forget that God said things like this. For my plans, my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We've got it all figured out. Now, lest we get too far down the track and somebody begins to wonder if God does expect us to live a willy-nilly life and case sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, that's not scriptural either. What does he expect? What does he say in the... Well, let's just stick with Jeremiah just a second. I know the thoughts I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you an expected end. Then you shall call upon me and, and, uh, and you shall go and pray to me and I will hearken to you and you shall seek me and you shall find me when you search for me with all of your heart. The seeking. 
leads to the finding. Can I help somebody? Can I help somebody? Can I help somebody? The seeking brings the finding. The knocking brings the opening. The searching brings the finding. You find God's plan for your life not at the high school counselor's office. That's not where you find the plan for your life. And man, I can upset the world because I know how I am and because I, I think everybody should do what I tell them. If everybody would just do what I said, right? My kids would verify. But the fact of the matter is, is you're not, you're not going to find the plan for your life from mom and dad. you got a praying mom and dad, a wise mom and dad. You can get counsel from mom and dad and should. You little smart aleck jerks, you need some counsel. You little smart aleck jerks, you need some counsel. That gave everybody in this room almost the opportunity to say Amen. But you're not going to find your plan with anyone else. You find your plan when you ask God and you seek his wisdom and you seek his way and you seek your path. And when you ask him. Now let's stop a second. We're going to talk about the will of God, the providence of God, we're going to, the plans of God how to miss those, and we're going to do all that in the next three hours, so just relax. <laughs> We've already talked about it, James. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. See, submission is not about the will of God. Submission, you can, submission is not, the only way to find the will of God is submission. Let's say it that way. Submission is not the will of God. Submission is how you get to the will of God. Everybody is all carried away. I, man, I, I was raised in a Pentecostal church. I know how it works. It, I know how it all works. It's all about resisting the devil. But I am here to remind you that submit yourself, therefore, to God is first. You can resist the devil all long, all day long, but you're just playing a religious game if you're not submitted to God. This is how you find the plan. Let me describe a few things for you. How many of you know it was God's will for the children of Israel when they crossed over the Jordan to drive everyone out of Canaan, out of the promised land, and to have a victory all the way through? How many of you know that? You know that. Before they ever sent spies and had to wander 40 years, it was God's will for them to have Canaan. Yes? So we know, so, so right now, the will of God is not in dispute, yes? About the will of God, 
We're talking about how it's carried out, and we're talking about our plans. And the only way to have the plans of God is to ask God. We know that when they went across the Jordan, the first place they arrived at was a great fortified city called Jericho. Yes? High walls, impenetrable. Said that you could race chariots side by side on the top of the walls, yes? And so they called in air support and they called in, they called in the, the, the Navy. No, they didn't have a moat. They, 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 they called in uh, the uh, Black Hawk helicopters. And then they called in F-16. They sent a few uh, uh, from, the, from the aircraft carriers out of the sea. They, they sent a few of that stuff in. And they loosened it all up first. Yeah, that's the New King James. No. We know that's not what happened. We know that's not what happened. In fact, what happened made absolutely, positively, zero sense. And had Joshua not done one thing, it's not the way it would have happened, and it would have not transpired the way it did. And what happened was Joshua went to God and said, what do I do? What do other armies do? And God says, march, keep your mouth shut and march around the wall. Do it day after day. And on the, on, the, on the last day, do it seven times. And at the end of it, whenever we give you the cue, they're going to blow the trumpets. You're all going to shout the great shout, and the walls are going to fall down flat. Well, can't you hear it? You get back to camp. Sister Joshua says, what did y'all do today? He said, we marched around the walls. Second day, what did y'all do today? Well, we just marched. You know? But he had the plan. We'll speed it up. We know that what, when Joshua inquired of God, God gave him the plan. He followed the plan, and God done exactly what he said he was going to do. They were utterly defeated. The only, the only thing spared Rahab and her family because she obeyed the things that they were asked to do with the scarlet thread. Yes? The great fortified city. We know that the next town up was nothing. The next town up, little place called Ai. No walls, no great fortification, not, many, not that many men to take hold of. So what did Israel, Joshua lead? What did they do? They just went in and were going to handle it. And guess what happened? They were utterly defeated, ran back in retreat with their tail between their legs at a place that should have been in the natural, no problem whatsoever. But the problem, I, we, now we know about Achan's sin and all of that, that's a whole other story. The problem of the defeat was they didn't ask God what to do. See, they thought because they had such a great victory at Jericho, this great walled city, that seemed reasonable just to do what we planned on the next one. 
And what they forgot and what we forget is every victory we ever have is because God has wrought it to us. When we get in obedience, I'll remind you as I do, week after week, month after month, that the power of God is in obedience. The power of God is in obedience. And we get in a mess because we make all of these plans and we never ask God. I've done that. And I've always had to pay for it. Always. And the times that I, that the, I can think of the major times that I've bothered to ask him, the major things he does. Hello, somebody. I'm telling you he has a plan for your life. And I am telling you, when you hold your plans so tight that, you, that God cannot work in them, that you left no room for him, that James is telling you that you, when, you, when you have this long-term plan that God never, you never asked him about, that he's, fly, he's telling you straight up that it's evil, and he said, I've told you what to do, and those who know what to do, and they do not do it, to them it is sin. Oh. Have you ever been there? Well, I have. And much like Joshua, when I consult God, I have great victories. When I think I've got it and don't need any consultation, I have great failures. And you would think we would learn. He writes this flat out, plain, simple. And you know what happens? I can tell you what happens. I'm going to help somebody tonight. I can tell you some of the things that happen. There's pressure that comes in from family, from a spouse, from children, from mom, from dad, from co-workers. We, we, when we begin to pray about some things and God begins us to take us in a new direction and we, start, and we start to walk this way and then when somebody comes up and says, well, I don't know about that. We have some of our greatest defeats because we don't ask God. Simply because we do not ask Him. I gotta hurry because I need you to know something real quick. God has a will and a perfect will for you, for mankind. I, need some, I don't have to, I, don't get stuck here because I don't have time to teach you tonight. We're just on the way by. You need to understand that God's perfect will, God's will, period, is not always played out. Everybody thinks he's God, he's sovereign. When you get to thinking about, well, you know, if it's, a, here, here, let me help you because you've heard stuff like this and this is where it needs to be plugged in and it'll help you just hear what we're talking about. You hear people say dumb things like, well, if, if that's what, if it's meant to be, it'll be. No, God doesn't operate on chance. No. Well, if it's God, or I say, well, if it's God's will, it'll, it'll happen. That is a lie. I'm going to say it again. Well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. That is a lie. Well, it got quiet. Told you I don't have time to park here very long. 
But let me tell you something about how I can prove that. Because if God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Every man of Adam's race, it is God's will to save, no matter what John Calvin wrote. Because the Bible says the salvation is for whosoever will. And it tells you that he's not willing that any should perish. It is God's will for everyone to accept the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But obviously, most do not. God's will is not always carried out. If God's will was always carried out, there would never be or never have been a single act of disobedience. Have you ever thought about it? Not even the first bite. It was not God's will for there to be a fall of man. Hmm. Well, you got to think about that a second, don't you? See, God's will doesn't just carry out. Now, if there's things done in God's providence, in God's providence, every man, woman, boy, and girl on this earth is breathing in his air right now, whether they love him, hate him, or don't even think he exists. In his providence, the birds don't have to think about how they're going to get fed. Jesus told you himself, he, he, he said, they don't, they don't even think about it. Are you with me? In his providence, there's things that happen. The earth stays on its axis. As long as I got news for all of you climate nuts. As long as things remain, there'll be seed time and harvest. But God's will is not always carried out. It was God's will that they go into the promised land when he told them. They didn't have to wonder for 40 years. I just want you to think. I think sometimes... No, I can do, well, I'll just, I'll just go ahead and say it. I know sometimes this is how it is because I've done it. And if none of you have, I have, so I can preach about it. Sometimes I don't pray about something because I don't want the answer. Well, since y'all are more spiritual than me, let me, let me. How many of you not, have not asked your boss for something because you didn't want to know the answer? Or not ask mom and dad for something because you don't want the answer. You don't want to know. None of you? Just a few of you? I think sometimes there is something innate in our spirit. That we don't pray about it because we know if we ask him, he's going to tell us. And we're going to have to change our plans. And we're on track 
for that first million dollars. Hello? James says, we ought not say, I'm going over here and do this for a year or do that for a year. But rather we should say, if the Lord wills, I will. He said, what is your life? I'll remind you that there was a time that that Paul wanted to go to Asia to evangelize. Now that has to be God's will. Has to be. Right? Holy Spirit said, no. You're not going there. Now if they had went down and, and... I don't know who in the world Paul would have talked to. I guess he'd have had to went back to Jerusalem and seen James and John and Peter. I don't know. And, and said, you know, I, can't you hear the conversation? Well, I, I really wanted to go to Asia, but I'm not really sure I should do. I've prayed about it. And, seem, and you know what they're going to say? Well, how can you go? I would just go to Asia. How can you miss God to go in when you're going to preach and evangelize? Now, I don't know that they'd have said that. I'm just making it up. But I'm trying to get you to think. I don't know what they'd have said. Hopefully they'd have said, you better seek God and listen to him. I suspect they would have. What I'm trying to get you to say, if, it was presu- if Paul would have pressed ahead, it would have been presumptuous. And if he'd have got over there and got half killed, he couldn't abelliate to God. Why did God let this happen to me? It's a good teaching. Well, God, let it happen to you because you've never asked him. And he's not under any obligation to your disobedience. Well, that comes as quite a shock. Interesting. But you know what happened. He had, a, he had a vision from a man that said, from the Macedonia that said, come over here. And it blew open the, Paul's missionary life that eventually took him to all the places he wanted to go. God had a plan. Well, let's stick with Paul just a second because there were times when he went places that he didn't know, that they, you know, they, the threats and the persecution was everywhere. And he would say, I'm going to go. And the people around him would be saying, you can't go. They're going to kill you. And the Lord would say to him, he would say, you're going to go. And nobody's going to harm you there. Yeah. Yeah. And so he would go. In spite of all the threat and everything everybody was saying to him. Hello? Yeah. You know what else would happen? God would tell him to go somewhere. And Paul would say, I know that nothing but prison and chains await me. And guess what? God had told him to go. Paul obeyed. And he went. And chains in prison awaited him. While he was there, you got things like 
whatsoever state I'm, I'm in, I'm content. He wrote that from a hole in the ground. I've had, I've had all I can eat, I've had everything, and I've had nothing. And I've learned whatever state I'm in to be content. From a hole in the ground, he wrote, listen, boy, this is a mess with people's church world. From a hole in the ground, Paul wrote, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, he, no, he didn't, he didn't write that from, from Mars Hill or the pinnacle of success. He wrote that from a hole in the ground. Right in the center of God's will. There's just no telling where the center, where God's will might take you. That's why we're afraid to ask for it sometimes. Sometimes if you ask for and, and receive and follow God's will, it'll take you to southeast Texas. Just prior to a flood. And you'll say stupid things while you're standing out on this very parking lot talking to somebody calls when you're standing in waist-deep water in your brand-new building. Really. How's it going? I'm fine. How bad is it? It's terrible. How do you feel about it? I'd rather be standing here in waist-deep water than on the beach in Waikiki, and I'm in it. And I'm in it. Why? Because when you're in his will and you've asked him where to go, that whatever state you find yourself in, you'll be content. It'll save you a lot of heartache and a lot of suffering. If you'll ask him, and it's amazing. It'll save you a lot of heartache and a lot of suffering. And it may take you place where there's a lot of heartache and a lot of suffering. But you'll be okay. Because you're where he puts you. He won't leave you there. What would it be? What would, what, would, what would Dachau have been without Corey Tim Boom? In Ravensbrook, where she would write things like, no pit is so deep that God's love is not deeper still. He said, you're not making me want to pray. We'll do God see the remarkable the astounding, 
the things that you would not believe had he told you. When we surrender our lives to his will. The whether it takes me to, to the pinnacles of recognition and success or whether it takes me to the armpit of a foreign country. Just for somebody in the remote wilderness to hear his name. Life is a vapor. Just a mist. And this side is not even worthy to be compared to what's to come. I know that if I walk with him, that my life is in his hands. I don't want to take my life in my own hands anymore. I've, done, I've seen what happens when I take my life into my own hands. I've seen where it looks like I have made, that man, I have made it, I have arrived now only to see my world fall apart. My life is in his hands. And James is telling us, he's not saying, he's not saying you don't have dreams and you don't have plans. He's saying, submit your dreams and your plans to God. And say, if he wills. Be willing to stop on a dime 30 years in and walk away because he asked you to. Hmm. That's what I thought. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. Eli Elisha killed the oxen and burned his plow because what he told Elijah when Elijah walked by and said to follow him he said let me go back and he said you know what? I don't have time for that if, you, if you're going with me and then when he's with him he said, he said what do you want he said I, 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 want, I want double Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing. But if you see me when I go, he had to stay close. Peter, James, and John, you know, they, they, their livelihood was fishing. You say, no big deal. See, it, was a, it probably was a lot easier for them to walk away. But I see a tax collector that made a lot of money that left too. And I see a physician that wrote with the, his accounts of the, of, of the gospel and the book of Acts are, are, are incredible because he left all to follow Jesus. Paul gave up position and authority and respect 
for a completely unknown. Oh, easier to shout five minutes ago. He tells us if we stick to our, it really, it really messing with me too. See, he tells us if we, if we stick to our plans without asking, he calls it evil. And tells you and describes what we do. See, humble yourself. There's where it is. That's why we started with verse 10 again. The humble yourself is you got to get you out of the way. And what I want out of the way. Boy, old Lanny Wolf, he wrote some stuff one time. Take my houses, my land. Take my dreams, take my plans. Take the dearest thing to me, if that's how it must be. You know, realize that encapsulates what he's asking for. You don't believe that? Look at when the rich young ruler come to Jesus. He said, I want to follow you. I want to be one of your disciples. I want to be one of you. He said, sell everything you own. And he said, it broke his heart. He didn't want to. It's hard. But we read about the rewards. We read about what happens and we shout about it and we celebrate it. But it only comes through total surrender and literally putting my plans in his hands. You may go in hard places when you obey God and face hard situations when you obey God. I, I, in fact, I'm, I'm just, you can just count on it. You're going to. But it will never be a mistake. It will never be a mistake. And you will never regret it. Or you can, you can do it your way and maybe you have fortune and fame. And die with a lifetime of regret on your shoulders and in your mouth. Hey, if there's nobody else in this room tonight, the, 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 the scripture has spoken to me and is speaking to me. My greatest failures, I can think of some of them, will be were when I done what I wanted to. One in particular, one of my greatest public failures I can remember vividly with the Spirit of God screaming 
loudly in my spirit, don't do it. I remember. It cost me everything except my, my wife and children and my home. Everything else. It cost me everything. It cost me my business, my cars, my bank accounts, my standing, my reputation, my pride. It cost me everything. Was it a sinful deal? Well, not what we would think of as sinful, but according to James, it was. According to James, it was evil. And then to those who know to do and do it not. The Holy Spirit was screaming at me. Right in my face. It wasn't even bashful. It wasn't, he, the, he, the Spirit is gentle. He's a dove, but he knows how to make himself known. He knows how to be loud. Pumping the brakes. And I did it anyway. Cost me everything. Then I can remember the times I've done it right. I can describe those two things in two minutes. <laughs> Won't take long. No, I can give you an example. This is no, this is no, it's not anything other than what it is. It's no brag, it's no slam on anybody else that's done any different and face the results. I've, I've been married twice. My first wife passed away. My I, I don't like to say my first wife. That says something different. My late wife passed away in 2015. Then, of course, now Heather. And so I've been married twice. And I've dated exactly two people. Exactly two people. When I married Lisa, when I married Heather, well, both, but particularly Heather, I, before I ever knocked on her door, before she even knew I did, was anything other than her former landlord from a few years before that, I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew what God had said, and that before I ever, before she ever even agreed to a date, she was agreeing to a marriage. What am I saying? I'm saying you can know. You can know. Now I'm not just talking about getting married, who in the right and what. You can know. I'm just going to tell you again. You can know. You can know about marriage. You can know about where you're supposed to work. You can know about where you're supposed to go. You can, you can know. Not only can you know, he wants you to know. Amen. And it'll save you a lifetime 
heartache and apology and repentance. This word of God is for way more than reading. It's for way more than preaching. It's for way more than teaching. It is for hearing. It is for applying. It is for obeying. And it is for power. It is for strength. It is for provision. It is for healing. This word is living and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it'll pierce through it all. It'll, it'll divide the joints and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. It, it will, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. You get in this book and you get before God and it will tell you if, you want your, if your agenda is selfish or if it's, it's his plan. It's for living. It's for obeying. It's for, it is, it'll show you where you're at. See, I didn't even think about it until just this moment, but you've heard me say it a million times. You're going to know what the psalmist said. It'll show you right where you're at. And if you'll, if you'll get in it, it'll show you where you're going. Because thy word is a lamp into my feet. And it is a light into my path. It'll show you where you are. It'll show you where you're going. If we'll walk in it. If we'll surrender. See, getting saved and living a, 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 a victorious Christian life. Now listen, you can live a carnal Christian life. There's a lot of Pentecostal folks that, that doesn't know that because I, I can say that because I was raised in, I'm, I'm still Pentecostal. I can say, I was raised with all of it. So I get, you, you know, it's one of those things like somebody, I can say what I want to about one of my kids, but if you do, I'm going to punch you in the nose. Y'all know what I'm talking about? See, I get to talk about us because I are one. And I get to say it. I get to say these things. There's life in this book. And there's life in his, with his spirit. I have to live through all the junk of religion. But I've seen the pendulum swing so far the other way that it's not recognizable within this book. His, his plan... I tell the his plan will change the way you think. If this book doesn't change the way you think, oh, I started to say you can you can live a carnal you can be saved and live a carnal life. Bible says you can. There's a lot of people that doesn't know that you can, that you can live pretty close to the edge. I'm not going to live in that spot. That's too dangerous. That's, that's too dangerous. I'm not, I see, I'm not looking for what I can get away with. I'm looking for what I can get away from. I'm, I'm not looking, I'm not trying to find the limit. I'm not trying to find the edge. See, he says to be carnally minded is death. 
I don't, I don't want to put myself in opposition to God and, and still just barely make heaven. You can be saved and miserable. People do it all the time. Or you can have life and life more abundantly. And that life will come in obedience to this word. It'll change the way that the, the, the church has lost sight of it. It'll change what you watch. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it hard. We got six minutes before they'll be anywhere close to down upstairs. So just breathe. If it doesn't, it, you know, and I'll just talk about me because it, it took a long time to come here. I, I, I don't tell you where to go, to what to watch on TV. I don't tell you, I don't tell you any of that stuff. I'll tell you what the Word says and let the Word deal with you. Because I'm not responsible for you when you walk out those doors. I'm responsible for what I feed you right here. I'm responsible, but you're responsible for you when you walk out. But I'm going to tell you there's something wrong with us when we can watch a show week after week after week and all it goes about, it goes from being about the hospital or whatever to who's sleeping with who this week and who they've done for this one this week. It, when it goes to being about fornication and adultery week after week after week and filthy language here and all that, if, there, if that's not offend, if, there, if we come to the place where that doesn't offend our spirit, see, I, I, I turn things off anymore not because Papa told me to. Mama told me I couldn't watch it. Or the assemblies of God told me it was wrong. They ain't going to tell you much of anything's wrong anymore. But the Word of God, will, if you get the, the living Word in you and full of the Spirit of God, that stuff will be offensive to your, to your spirit. And we norm our kids watch all this stuff and watch us watch all this stuff. And then we're shocked whenever they don't believe anything we say in the church house. They're shocked. I mean, don't be shocked. This book will change you. It'll change where you go. It'll change where you go. Not because of rules. Hey, I, I'm even pretty convinced it'll take, it'll allow you to go places that it won't allow me to go to. And vice versa. Because God knows me. And God knows you. Hello? Talking about life is just a vapor. And our boasting shouldn't be in our plans and our, shouldn't be in our liberty either. can't boast in my liberty. Well, I could say something. I better at least leave it alone. I'll give you an example. Well, somebody will think I'm saying more than I'm saying. Well, I'll just go ahead and say it. It's just an example. Since I was prodded by two people over here. But this is what, just take it, just, just take it where it's at. I, my understanding is that they have fantastic hamburgers down here at this daiquiri joint now. Have a have a, a trailer out front now. They moved inside, and I told Michelle, I'd say something. I said I can't go until they change the signs or whatever. Well, not because I think I'm going to go to hell if I walk in. I don't. But I, but I, I wrote some things down. That I, I thought what I, I, I may if you see it this week, you'll know what's coming. 
I, I, what, suppose, what does it say? What does it really mean when the Bible says to avoid even the appearance of evil? What, is it, what does it mean when it says to come out from um, among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing and, and I will receive you? What, what does it mean? Now, I'm still not talking. I don't care if you go eat a hamburger down there. That's between you and God. And the other day, I, I'll tell you what, I compromised my convictions because I was hungry. And I walked in the door and I looked around. I got to tell you, when I walked around, I didn't see nothing but booze machines and people lined up for booze. I didn't smell a hamburger. I didn't see a hamburger. I didn't see a hamburger menu. Now, they got ham- I, I, I take everybody's word for it. They got hamburgers, but I couldn't find them. And I was about six, six people deep in the, in the booze line, and I thought, I got to get out of here. <laughs> now, I'm not kidding. I, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong if you pick up a hamburger through their window. I am saying that I, can't, I, could, I had to leave. I can't, I can't do it. Not because I had any will intent. I can't find the hamburgers where they at. <laughs> but do you hear me? I can't do it. Now, God is my witness. I'm not. This is not virtue signaling. This is not anything. This is just telling you. That God wants more out of his people sometimes. Not condemning. None of those things. None of it. I I am not the Holy Ghost. That's one thing the church needs to realize. You're not the Holy Spirit. And he's good at his job. He knows what to do. He knows how to talk to people. And it'll be between him and them if they obey. Yeah? But I am telling you. That this thing will change you. And if you'll give him your life and your plans, you'll never be disappointed. And he'll never owe you anything. I got news for you. God's not here. Because people, everybody's always, let's be real. People are worried about what they're going to have to give up. How much money, how much whatever. God's never going to owe you anything, I promise. He is never going to owe you anything. See, the, somebody help me. And I had no sorrow. Somebody help me. The blessings of the Lord make you rich. Add no sorrow. He's never going to owe you anything. I don't know if he's talked to your heart tonight, but he's talked to mine through his word. He's moving at Mag. He's moving at Mag. Stand with me all over this house. Father, we thank you and love you. Lord, work in us, move in us. And go with us. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. What you say. All over this house. This is from me. You just talk to 
one more time, this is what I'm going to do. And just, Lord, one more time, I give you all of it. All of it. All of it. You get it all. I don't want to spend a second doing what I doing my own thing. I'll humble myself and walk with you. My life's in your hands. And I'm content knowing that that's the best place it can be. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.